Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Everyone Talks to Liz. You know, it's amazing when I think about all we've been through over the last 18, 19 months. One of the most upsetting points for me, I know, during the coronavirus pandemic had to be when hospitals bursting at the seams with, you know, terribly ill people near death and gasping for air were forced to turn other patients away cancer patients, right? I mean, yes, triage, we get it, required that the most desperately ill needed to fill the hospital beds. But now that the nation has, dare I say, made it through most of the very dark COVID tunnel, the focus is back on other diseases. And yes, specifically on cancer. I mean, who among us, as you guys are all listening, who among us doesn't know someone with cancer or who's died of it? My podcast guest today is no different, only I would argue she has suffered but also gained way more than most. She's one of those rare creatures who took painful loss and adversity and morphed it into unbelievable success, but success with a purpose. Christy Shaw grew up on a farm in Iowa, that's where all this begins, right, where she learned the value of hard work and persistence. She would need those values when both her mother and her sister died of cancer. And those values have become the very engine and the propellant for her as the CEO of Kite Pharma, a biotechnology company which develops cancer immunotherapy drugs with a primary focus on genetically engineered T-cell therapy. I am so honored to welcome Christy Shaw to Everyone Talks to Liz. Hi. Hi, Liz. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure, especially considering that you really are are so multi-layered in so many ways that all of our listeners, in one way or another, are hanging on the edge of their seat because they got to wait. You started as as a kid in a farm, and okay, what kind of farm? That's that's immediately grabbing my attention. So we um, had beef cattle, and we had um, corn and soybeans. And uh, some of the land we rented out to farmers, and uh, we really took care of the cattle. Um, and uh, lots of great mem- memories, baling hay, um, detasseling corn, uh, pulling corn out of beans when they rotated the crops. So lots of great memories. I, I'm listening to this. You know, for a girl who grew up in Los Angeles, I'm thinking, what were your mornings like? Because I did end up living in Ohio for several years, and I've covered a lot of farm stories when I was working in Columbus and Cleveland. But I always was so amazed that these farm kids were so resilient, and they would get up at the crack of dawn to milk the cows or do whatever. I mean, what was your childhood like? Oh, it was... Um kind of like Little House on the Prairie, I guess you'd say. We, um, in the summertime, you know, if I was working, we'd get up very early, like for detasseling, you get up uh, when the sun's still down and to get picked up and to go into the fields and you wear a garbage bag um, over your clothes because the the corn stalks are all wet and they can cut you. And then by the afternoon, you have hardly any clothes on because it's so hot and humid. Um, And, you know, you work those 10 hour days um, to make all of the money. As for me, made all the money that I, um, uh, could so that I could pay for my school clothes. So I actually used every dime uh, on school clothes because that, that was what girls did, especially as teenagers. Um, but then during the school um, year, I learned to, you know, I was in sports. So um, I, uh, you know, we, we'd do our chores in the morning, feeding the animals. Um, and then I'd go to school uh, right after that, go to sports. And then um, 
I learned through that really hard physical work that I think I want to go to college. I was the first one to go to college in my family because I think I don't like all this hard work all my life. <laughs> I think I, I think I think, you know, some physical work's OK, but I think I'm going to go maybe uh, see if I can do something mentally as well. <laughs> you know, your dad and your mom did you a favor by making you do that hard work. I remember that the CEO of Intel, Paul Odellini, may he rest in peace. He was first generation. His father worked at a slaughterhouse. And his father made him work at the slaughterhouse during the summer so that he would understand what he didn't want to do. And in a way, I'm hearing you say that that helped you realize, okay, I want to go to college and I want to really do something that makes a difference. Yes, that's I feel like the exact same way is it really helps you understand. I mean, many times people love to do that. And most people that I went to high school with stayed in the area and are farmers. Um, it just is for me, I wanted to do something else. So you get to Iowa State and tell me what you studied and what piqued your interest. Sure. So um, I actually, you know, I'm one of those um, anomalies nowadays where the career that I chose um, is the career that I've stuck with. And when I wasn't working, I went back to when I did work again. And so um, it was, again, through my parents that, um, you know, they really talked to me about what am I going to do with the rest of my life? And uh, we, you know, really did some soul searching. I was an exchange student in Germany. I got a scholarship to do that one summer. And my dad said, when you come back, I want to know what you're doing with the rest of your life. And so um, I really looked at my parents and said, gosh, you know, my, my father had um, a job in a corporation. We moved every two or three years, you know, when he'd get a new position. Uh, we live in Canada and the U.S., um, and then my mom, she was very philanthropic, always doing things for others. Um, she was a stay at home mom, but always um, out and about, um, always, you know, dropping things off at the church, working at the church, um, working with neighbors, helping neighbors who are ill. Um, and then, the you know, the gardens we had, she canned and, and froze um, all of our food. So in the wintertime, we still had all of those farm vegetables mm. uh, and she even canned meat as well. So um, I looked at both of them and said, I really want to do something with my life, which is competitively challenging because I was also in sports, but also was like my mom always giving back. And when my chemistry teacher in high school uh, started talking about his brother who worked for a pharmaceutical company, it immediately caught my attention. And so when I went to Iowa State, they they um, they didn't really have a degree in, in uh, pharmaceuticals. So I uh, what I did was I got a business degree, undergraduate in marketing, and I worked as a pharmacy technician uh, um, for pay during um, college. And uh when I graduated, I actually um, interviewed on Iowa State campus for an IT job because that's all they were recruiting for um, from Eli Lilly. And when I got uh, offered the job, I said, I really don't want to do IT. Could could you give me a sales job? <laughs> and so they referred me to the right department and um, I was hired and I was hired by a woman in HR with there was no boss for the role and no boss's boss for the role. So she hired me on a risk and uh, I ended up in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, even though they offered me Chicago. Um, I said, no, 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 I'll take that Oshkosh job in the rural area where I'm comfortable. <laughs> Isn't that fascinating? You know, let me not let you roll right over that story. One of the things <laughs> that you really just grabbed my attention on was where you, you took an IT job that you had very little interest in. I'm always trying to let the listeners know opportunities will fly past you in packages you don't recognize. Grab them. So because you grabbed that, I mean, had you not, who knows where you'd be today, right? 
For sure. For sure. I just knew that I wanted to work in a great company that helps people and whatever job that first is that I can get, um, I'll take. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just get it as long as it's somewhere in the sphere, (laughs) somewhere Mm -hmm. in that that at least that galaxy of where you want to be. So, you know, you held several work your way up to hold several senior executive positions at Lilly and then you jumped to Novartis, uh, J&J, you you know, you you really got your elbows deep into this. Tell me what happened in 1996 that changed your life and your world. So, you know, growing up, uh, we always were a close-knit family and extended family. You know, like a lot of people, when you get together for Christmas or other holidays, uh, you'd see all of the extended um, numbers of people. Um in 1996 and, and afterwards, um, 1996 was the start of um, losing a loved one uh, too soon. So my mother um, unfortunately died of breast cancer at the age of 51. And at the time, you know, we didn't have um, a lot of use of the internet um, or weren't educated on uh, cancer therapies, clinical trials. Uh, so you, everything was left up to the local physician um, in rural Iowa for us to, to take care of her. And so um, it was devastating. I was 29 years old. Um, but at that time, uh, I never wanted to work in oncology. I said, you know, my mom died in hospice in our home. My older sister um, took care of her. She lived nearby and she had uh, young kids and she stayed and moved in with my mom and dad and took mm-hmm. care of her. And, uh, you know, having known now what I, uh, if I knew then what I know now, things I think could have been a lot different. But, uh, you know, we just listened to the only person we knew and that was the oncolo- local oncologist. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was the start of me thinking about maybe cancer. I, Maybe, you know, it's all I always thought cancer is a death sentence. I'm not going to work with it. I want to do good for people. I don't want to make chemotherapy where they're just going to increase their quantity of life by a little bit. Um, I just I don't think I could actually do that. I want to really make uh, work in an area where it makes big improvements. But um, I found out later that uh, actually those leaps and bounds um, were being made in, in the oncology field. Yes, but boy, does that take effort and it takes money. And so what brought you to Kite? Because Kite, of course, for those of you who don't know, is a specific biotechnology company that works on CAR T-cell therapy, right? I mean, this is very transformative. It's it's one-time therapy for certain types of blood cancers, whereas I understand it, you collect the patient's white blood cells and then engineer them. That's correct. So um, you go to a hospital and they um, take your blood and they what we call apheresis. It. Um, it's called an apheresis procedure, mm-hmm. but uh, it takes your blood and they spin it and they take out the white blood cells and they send us that package of blood, which is the white blood cells to El Segundo here in California or in Europe. It now is in Amsterdam. And um, the team takes them in and they see that bag as um a life, a person's life, and that their job is to take those T cells and make them stronger, do better to fight the cancer, and then send them back to the patient to be infused. And uh, it's been life-saving for so many patients. And this is for both hematological or blood cancers and solid tumors? 
So right now it's only approved for blood cancers. Um, we have actually three indications of different types of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And also we just received an indication for acute lymphoblastic leukemia. Mm. Um, but for solid tumors, we haven't been, we're, we're definitely researching it. The whole industry is trying to figure out how can we apply this to you know, 90% of the cancer market, which is in solid tumors. But uh, that one is uh, proving to be a little bit more difficult, or I should say a lot more difficult, but I think it will come. I think uh, that we will have breakthroughs in the future for cell therapy and solid tumors as well. We're not done yet. We'll be back in a moment. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listen Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clayman. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clayman right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clayman. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And then, of course, you lose your sister. Uh, yeah. to cancer. Talk a little bit about that and, and how it drove you even harder to really delve into these brave new worlds of cancer therapy. Sure. You know, as I talked about having big families slowly after my, my mom passed away and then, you know, it was one after the other. Um, and then not, not long after that, um, you know, my, my father had multiple illnesses and he passed away of a rare infection. And then my sister was diagnosed at 51, same age my mom died mm -hmm. um, of multiple myeloma. And at that time, I was the head of, of um, Novartis in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And I saw my sister take care of my mother. And growing up in Iowa, you know, you know when it's your turn and what you should do. And um, I I called my husband on the phone because at first she was being taken care of in the normal way. Uh, you know, there's approved uh, therapies. There's just a, a, a something you follow and you, you follow what the doctor says. And, that, and that's what you do, as you should. And then it get to the point, though, where she um, she was high risk. She um, relapsed and she needed a clinical trial. And she was accepted into a cell therapy clinical trial. So at that time, I. Um, called my husband on the phone. I was at work. I remember standing, uh, looking out the window and saying, honey, I'm going to quit my job. Uh, Sherry needs a caregiver because she's going to be in a two month clinical trial in Philadelphia. She lives in St. Louis. Her husband needs to work for the insurance, medical insurance purposes. So I'm going to be the one to, to go live with her. And, uh, he said, are you sure? I said, yep, very sure. He said, okay. Um, and I realized, you know, I'm very lucky because I was able to financially be able to take time off uh, and do that. And they had so many special memories with her. Um, but unfortunately, we ended up losing the battle um, mm -hmm. to, for her. But what happened to me was I, I went back to work and I was working at Lilly uh, about two and a half years in the job when the position for Kite came up. And um, seeing that patients who were only given three to six months to live 
They're basically told to put their lives in order to say goodbye to people. Those patients where you're just thinking you're just trying to improve their quality of life, we found that um, four years later, 44% of them are alive after they uh, have cell therapy, um, our cell therapy in particular has those rates. So I thought, gosh, talk about a life's mission. I wanted to help people. And what would it feel like if that was my sister? What would it feel like those last three months of her life if she had been able to respond to uh, cell therapy? Unfortunately, it didn't work for her. But for those that it had, it changes your whole life to think you thought they're going to die and they're actually here for years later. Oh, my gosh. I mean, that's the thing where you have hope. There are so many different attempts right now in the world to cure cancer, many different kinds, obviously. But how much of a driver is it each day that you wake up and you walk into that office and you're meeting with your teams and you're hearing the latest updates and and the trials, et cetera? I mean, how much of a driver does that really become? And how do you sort of move forward on that without getting – is it fair to say too close to patients and people in your trials? That's got to be hard. It is. You know um... – it is easy to to get up to do it because it's um, when somebody says you found your purpose, and especially because I really felt feel it in my heart um, when we talk to these patients, or when you get data like that and think of, and you just can't help but thinking about all of those families whose lives are going to be um, you're giving them hope again, and so it's so motivating to go uh, forward. I do, you know, uh, we're in a highly regulated environment, so. Um, you know, I'm very patient focused, um, as people would say, every decision we make, we talk about how it affects the patient first. And, um, but also, you know, we also have to keep a distance, um, from Mm -hmm. the patient and, and, you know, go through the healthcare system and making sure that, um, um, you know, we, we approach them in the appropriate way. So, uh, we have probably one patient a a week that we find and have conversations with where the last one I'll tell you was a, a gentleman who had been told he had three months to live. He had a young daughter and, uh, decided to go through cell therapy. It's been, uh, quite a few years later. I think it's been seven years. Yes. And, uh, he said, uh, people always say to us, Oh, you saved my life. But this particular patient said, you not only save lives, but, and he brought out his little newborn baby, he said, you also create lives. Oh my! And uh, so big, big sister, um, who was uh, three when her, her dad was diagnosed, is, was with the brand new baby. And it was uh, just, it's just so rewarding. So very rewarding. Well, the development and the effort on behalf of the scientists and Everybody working at Kite, I can imagine that is the kind of story that that gives you renewed strength to keep on fighting. Uh, You know, it's a little unusual. Uh, I don't see too many female CEOs in the biotechnology industry. Are you seeing more of that? Um, Do you even think about things like that? Yeah. So, you know, it's... um it was important to me when I came back to work, I didn't know if I'd come back full time and I wanted to um, spend time with my son and my husband and I did decide that we weren't going to do dual careers anymore. And so that was one big decision uh, that we made. But to, to be honest, the um, the biggest thing that I found coming back to work, uh, that role modeling that you can leave, you can leave your job and Um, You can go and take care of your family needs, take time off, and then still get back in. 
And, you, you know, it's your career will always be there. The jobs mm -hmm. will always be there, but your family won't. And one of the things I think um, gave me courage uh, to be able to take the time off and step down, if you will, is the fact that my, you know, this has um, been done before, you know, um, people have been able to, to, you might not get the same job, um, but look what happened to me. I have an even better job. I have a more life fulfilling job um, because I stepped down. And so there's not a lot of women who are CEOs. It's um, I think 4% or less of the fortune 500 biotech. We're seeing more and more the smaller biotechs, um, but for sure we need a lot more women and we, we need women uh, in healthcare because they make the majority of all decisions in the household for healthcare, whether it's their own or their spouses or their children. We need women who are making those decisions to be in the boardrooms, to be in the executive suite, um, to weigh in on the important decisions we have for things like cell therapy and saving patients' lives. I could not agree more. Um, my sister-in-law is a star epidemiologist. She goes to the Congo. She's solving Ebola. She's been oh. very much at the forefront of you know COVID in California. Her name's Dr. Anne Ramoyne, and she is such a can I say badass? Yes, <laughs> she is that's so awesome. awesome. <laughs> but she said, "Liz, I mean, you can't even imagine. There's so few of us in epidemiology. But you know, look." There are people who take the machete and cut through a pathway and then others come after them. And you really strike me as somebody who is clearing a path. And I just I'm honored to tell your story, Christy. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Keep fighting the good fight and doing such amazing work. And I will say, as the daughter of a doctor, you know, I, I come to work every day and I'm like, oh, I'm doing the show and I'm landing this CEO and that. You know what? In the end, I'm not saving lives like you guys, like my dad, Aww. like you, like Annie. So I, it's a real honor to tell your story. And I know my listeners truly appreciate it. It's an honor and, and humbling for me to be able to hold this position um, for so many reasons. And uh especially the joy I get to see these patients live. Okay. I want all of our listeners to just for a moment, close your eyes and say, go Christy. We want Christy Shaw and the team at Kite Pharma to keep fighting for these cures to cancer. Thank you once again. And by the way, everybody, Monday through Friday, 3 p.m. Eastern, it's the Claim and Countdown. We have the most amazing leadership guests of all kinds, just like Christy. So we, we really hope you tune in because it's so inspirational and of course, aspirational. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.